So tonight we want to begin this first session of St. Simeon's Inquirer's class with the overview. The kind of there was a song in the '60s. What's it all about, Alfie? So this is the what's it all about kind of a general view of of how we how we in the Orthodox Christian vision of of reality, how we see things, how we understand it, and we understand it fundamentally in the terms of creation, fall, redemption. There's a creation, it fell, and there's a movement of rest- restoration, redemption, renewal, salvation, all those words that um, we uh, are familiar to us. I assume by and large, as we just heard, that we're talking to Christians, and um, and so some of the things... I will assume you understand the terms, but then some of those terms will be understood differently in orthodoxy. There'll be a different way of looking at it, different emphasis, even a even a different uh, teaching altogether, uh, even a disagreement at times. And I will, because orthodoxy in America, in the West generally, is a minority faith, a minority uh, religion. Um, I'll be making comparisons. I'll be, just for the sake of, of understanding, who do we think we are as this little church here in America that most people don't know about? Why do we think the way we do? And so we have to draw up uh, the, the comparisons, historical, doctrinal, uh, spiritual, uh, with Roman Catholicism and the various aspects of Protestantism. Uh, because we are neither orthodoxy is neither uh, Roman Catholic nor nor a Protestant church. It predates, it pre-exists uh, the Protestant Reformation. We say, we argue, by fifteen hundred years, which is to say, we claim, and and everything I'm going to say here about what the church believes, about what orthodoxy teaches and believes, is a claim. I mean, somebody can say you're you're all wet. You're you know, you, you, I don't believe anything you're saying and so forth. But it's but this is anybody a, a claim of faith is anybody's going to make that claim and, and stand by it, and then you have to decide and use your mind, uh, heart, and spirit to discern uh, whether something being said is the truth or not. So, but um, so not to uh, to cast aspersions necessarily, not to. Uh, uh, be critical just for the triumphal sake of criticism, but just to point out the differences so that you understand when orthodoxy has in some degree a unique perspective on something that that you know what that is. Um, because there are some things. And um, so for instance, there's a there's a different vision of of, of humanity, a different vision of human nature. That's, that breaks with what's prevalently understood in, in Western Christian versions of, of, of the faith. There's a different um, emphasis, a different understanding, teaching of the cross, of what's happening on the cross, of all things. So that's big. That's major, obviously. There's a, there's a different theology of, the, of, the, of God as Holy Trinity, a different understanding of the Trinity. There is a thorough 
historical Christology, which is to say teaching of who is Jesus Christ, based on all the ancient uh, texts and ecumenical councils and teachings of church fathers about who Jesus is, um, that will share many, uh, uh, will share much agreement with with Western Christians um, who who have who want a full historical traditional view of of who Christ is, um, which is primarily based in the Council of Chalcedon uh, in the year 451, and of course in the Gospels themselves. Orthodoxy, we say, is a full gospel church that we, in, we receive and accept the Holy Scriptures um, both in, in their in their plain text and in, and and respecting the mysteries that are in Scripture that are, that don't always um, quite explain themselves, and certainly there are aspects of of English language that fail to to express some of the subtleties and fine points of of Christian doctrine uh, from the Greek, and then for instance, the New Testament. Um, when when Paul when Saint Paul says uh, about the cross that those to those who are saved it is the power of God that we read in English when you look at the Greek the Greek verb for saved is a continuous I don't know all the technical terms but I I, I didn't get an A in Greek but anyway um, <laughs> I think I I don't know if I got I hope I got a B um, but the the Greek verb is a continuous action verb. So in the, when you look at it, the Greek, it's, it's those who are being saved. Sa- then therefore salvation as an ongoing process, not simply the people in the church are saved and everybody else is not. But there's a movement of being saved that the Greek expresses not only in that, per- that place, but several places in the New Testament. That you don't get that in the English. Um, and, and so there, there the English can can, in a sense, create a uh, support, maybe a, a, a erroneous understanding of salvation, or inc- incomplete understanding of salvation due to the language uh, limitation. So um, there's that. When we look at the Old Testament, we look at it in a, from the point of view of what's called typology. Typology which is to say we accept the historical basis of what's written there you know whether it was exactly 40,000 killed or whatever so what but you know when they talk about the battles and so forth but the point being we accept the history of it then we look for types we look for uh, theological types highlights uh, important moments in the Old Covenant in the Old Testament history that points us to the new, that points us to Christ, that points us uh, to the gospel and the New Testament. And so, so we see it for what it is, that, but then we, then we see it, you know, if it has something to say beyond uh, that historical moment. Um, we'll break out the, we'll break out at some point, probably soon, the brochure for you that um, talks about church history but our vision of church history basically goes like this. And there's this. 
then there's this. So we say this is the beginning of the church, 330 AD. There's the split with Rome. Rome says we split from Rome, the Pope. We say the Pope split from the other bishops of the church. That's around the year 1054, as commonly noted. And then everything else we know of Christianity, all the other labels and brands and versions come with the Protestant Reformation out of the Roman Church in the 1500s. We say in the meantime, this line here is the Orthodox Church going right along, which is to say we had no Reformation. There was no change in our faith after Rome left. There wasn't, we didn't start doing anything differently um, when there was the break with, with Rome. Um, it's a tragedy, it, it's terrible. It's a terrible witness to have all these different labels and versions of, of, of Christianity, because it certainly does look like a bunch of things that men made up to, the, to someone who's searching, who's looking, who's trying to understand, you know, what's Presbyterian, what's Methodist, what's, what's Baptist, what's and so forth and so on, what's, what's Episcopalian. Um, so, but we, we argue we have this continuous line, and the, the line of orthodoxy is in the east, the Church of, of Palestine, the Holy Land, Greece, the Middle East, later on, uh, Eastern Europe, Russia, and um, missions throughout the world. Um, but but no, no major shifts, no major changes, just a, a continuous uh, life. And 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 and, uh, and continuous uh, church life for two thousand years down to this moment. It's easy for us to get bogged down in history and to say, well, this orthodoxy thing, well, it's sort of a historical relic. It's an, it's sort of the antiquated, antique version of Christianity, sort of a shelf piece you put on the shelf and look at it. Um, what orthodoxy really is about, we would say, is about it's, about it's about worship and prayer. The heart of orthodoxy is, is about worship and prayer. That um, it's not just about church history uh, and where we stand in that, though that's an aspect of it. That's, that's part of what, what, why we're here. But it's, it's a life of worship. It's a life of prayer. Very elaborate ritual worship that hasn't changed in centuries, literally has not changed in its, in its essence and really in most of its details in centuries. We do now pray for those who travel by air. <laughs> there's, there's, there's one that says travel by land, by sea, and by air. So that got added maybe, who knows, 50 years ago or more, um, somewhere that, that thought that was a legitimate change, you know. And uh, we use electric lights, and whereas everything used to be candlelit before Edison. But um, the services that you that we that you have, if you've been in an Orthodox service that you've witnessed that you've seen, has not changed at all in 500 years. Which is which puts it back here. That's amazing. Which puts it back here with the Reformation. In other words, since the Reformation, from going back to that time. The Orthodox faith is the same in every aspect of its worship life 
not one change. In the, in the previous 500 years, so if this is 1500, in the previous 500 years, there may be some minor changes that a liturgical expert might note or might see or someone who's, who's on top of things would pick up. But even in the past thousand years, there's not that many differences. Um, in my own lifetime, there's no changes, which isn't a lot, but that's, well, that's more than I expect. But 60 years, back in the 60s, the Roman Catholic Church was going through an upheaval and a major change of, of looking at things in the Vatican II Council and uh, movement of the uh, orientation of the altar and other changes and the movement of the tabernacle and things which just in orthodoxy are unthinkable. Changes such as that, um, or from the orthodox point of view, is just unimaginable that you would reorient the altar, that you would make such radical changes. So, so there's a changelessness, there's, there's a consistency, there's a reliability, there's a, a, an ongoing life of the church. And for some people, that's just too conservative and we need to speak to the modern soul, to the, the modern uh, person. We need to be relevant, we need to update and so forth. But we argued, orthodoxy argues that the needs of the human soul haven't changed all through human history, that the need for God, the need for communion with God, that we're made for communion with God, that that need has not altered, that need hasn't moved, that need hasn't re reformed itself, that that need abides and continues. And we believe the church provides us a way, um, a way of, uh, a way of, of uh, communion with God. So we have very elaborate ritual worship and then also very quiet prayer where you can sit quietly and be in God's presence and pray the Jesus prayer which is simply the phrase, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, and repeat that prayer, repeat that prayer, uh, both in a quiet uh, stillness, way of stillness, also to pray that prayer just walking around, driving around, doing anything, if you're doing manual labor, that does not require a lot of thinking, to pray the prayer, to be, to be connected to God through that prayer. Mercy, meaning not, oh, have pity on me, I'm you know, I'm, I'm a wretch. I'm a wretched uh, sinner, but mercy, uh, as a, a word eleison, in Greek, which has a has a connotation of of eleon, which is oil and and kind of uh, an anointing, a covering, uh, a, 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 that God asking mercy of the Lord, rather than tell him what we think we need, and that he should do for us. As mercy is saying, I'm mean, here. I am. I'm in your presence, as you know best. As you know, you give what I need uh, without me having to explain because you know better and so mercy is just opening ourselves to God's presence saying saying to God God be God in my life have mercy on me can I ask you a question yes come on in please is it appropriate to pray that prayer for other people yes Lord yeah, Jesus you, Christ have mercy on Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on John you've saved me with person's name in the first petition then you just have mercy on me teaching is that that when you're when you pray when you're praying um, we're an individualistic society and culture so we see ourselves as the units individual God sees us in, in using and using the terms of, of our day God sees us networked 
God sees us connected with our friends and family. Um, um, I don't know if he does Facebook, but he sees he everybody does. He's the ultimate Facebook. He's got it all connected. He's got it all laid. But so he doesn't see us alone. He sees us connected to our family, to our friends, to people that are on our heart, on our mind. And so to to uh, to do the Jesus prayer, use keeping you keep that phrase primarily. Have mercy on me, um, just to keep the rhythm of it, rather than always changing it. But the Lord knows that you're dedicating that to, to another person, and you're doing that. You're offering that for them, and so he he's. But I, as I'm saying, he sees us connected anyhow, in that manner. So, so um, yeah, two con two contrasts. Um, in fact, one of my professors, Father Alexander Schmemann, um, once went to an ecumenical conference, and and they said, well, you you'll have you'll be happy to know we're seating you with the. Uh, I don't know what it was, Swedish Lutheran, Swedish Lutheran or some, somebody like that, high church, their high church. He said, well, I could just as well sit with Quakers because we share that quiet, prayerful seeking of God um, as well. So we have, again, this bright, elaborate, what National Geographic once called a gaudy worship Crude, crude people, but just no, t just to have no taste. That's all. Cause gaudy. Back in seventies, the National Geographic. Oh, look, we're, there's an Orthodox article. Gaudy. Oh. <laughs> but um, so we have that. But then again, we have this quiet uh, call to prayer that um, traces back to the Egyptian Palestinian desert of the fourth, fifth centuries, where where this way of prayer was learned and developed um, and and um, one of the points of, of church history that um, Protestant and Catholic historians are not happy about generally um, is the conversion of Constantine around the year 313 Orthodoxy thinks it's wonderful we call him a saint. We believe he's, even though he, you know, he didn't have it all figured out himself, was only baptized actually towards his deathbed. Constantine, for the first 300, after, well, from, from beginnings, earliest times of church history, the church was persecuted as a Jewish minority, Jewish sect by the Jews, by the Roman pagans. Um, and and fiercely, uh, fierce, uh, two very terrible and fierce times of persecution around the year 250 and around the year 300. The two the two emperors are remembered, uh, Decius and Diocletian, as terrible persecutors of the Christian faith, tried to wipe it out. So Christianity was a very counterculture, secret. Uh, endeavor where people would gather quietly in houses for worship, for 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 the Holy Eucharist, um, and so everything was very low key and quiet. And and um, uh, no matter what, they would be found out or discovered or rumors about them. And and there were there are on our church calendar we remember different saints of every day of the year, and there are days of where 
4,000 Christians killed this place and, and, and 5,000 Christians killed in this place and so forth and so on on this day. Um, that the Christ, Christianity was almost a guarantee that you'd be tortured and put to death uh, as your reward for, for the life uh, in the first 300 years. So Constantine is competing with another guy to be the emperor of Rome and um, he sees a vision in the, in the, in the sky in, in, of the sign of the cross it says in this sign conquer so he puts the sign of the cross on the soldiers uniforms and weapons and shields and he, he is victorious and he from Christianity going to be going, going from an illegal um, uh, persecuted martyred uh, un, unpopular movement in, in Roman society it becomes by Constantine's declaration the official faith of the Roman Empire that Christ literally conquers the Roman Empire through the, through, the, through the work of Constantine and makes Christianity now the, the actual religion of, of the Roman Empire and uh, people's, people on, in the West Western theological void. Well, the Roman Catholics' voices are not happy because he moved the empire from Rome to a new city that he built in his own name, Constantinople, further off in the east, uh, on the on the actually western tip of Turkey in this in modern times, old Asia Minor. Um, so they're not happy about the movement of the of the of the seat of the emperor of the empire uh, away from Rome. Protestant historians. Uh, see it as a as compromise, as a a fall, a failure that 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 um, the church lost its you know its its rigor and how how and I, my reaction is how how um what's the word how how um, thoughtful of us to tell those Christians you should have been happy just continue to be tortured and killed you know how dare you become the official religion of the Roman Empire. You lost. You lost your way. We're we we moderns are telling you that you uh, that you blew it. it. It is true that of course when there's mass conversion, mass baptism, people are doing it for political social reasons, not for the right reasons. There are nominal Christians everywhere. It's true, but the church itself then had a movement, and it was just what I was referring to um, to the desert. That the reaction to and. It, Yes, Christianity became a little flabby, a little weak. Um, it was kind of the the thing to be, you know, to to uh, uh, in a in a sort of now Christian empire. Men and women went out into the desert, both as as hermits and as and as groups and communities, and kind of reclaimed that that rigor, that vigor of the early Christians, of of what we call instead of the red martyrdom, it's called the black martyrdom. Of, of the monastic life and much of orthodox spirituality is shaped and molded and and the culture of our spirituality is is from that the monastic vision from that from that desert experience um, so that and they shaped the way services would be done um, as, as church history developed and so forth um, and the elab and the elaborateness of, of worship, so you go from a quiet house church that's about to that's in danger of all being arrested. Um, so, so let's sing quietly, and everything we do here is going to be low key. 
uh, Constantine gave public buildings to the to the church. So now you have buildings that hold 5,000, 10,000 people for worship. So what? So worship then became a little more visual, a little more big, with processions and and banners and and things to things you can see and because you're you're in a crowd and if you know and and so they lifted the altar up higher so that it was raised so people could see and so forth so um it was still the fundamental uh, gathering at the lord's table but again elaboration of what was um uh, and, and and so that plays a role and impact in in church life to this day but again, we see it as ultimately as a positive thing, and and for those who who, who prefer the church to be to be martyred and wasted, well, the Muslims come, they they arrive uh, in the 600s, so there's a there's 300 to 600, there's a little break, and then Islam comes out of the east, and uh, places places like Iran, Iraq, Syria, um, were Christian. Or Arab pagan. I mean, I wasn't all Christian, but but a, but a strong Christian presence, which and still is in some of those areas. But Islam came up and pushed uh, Christianity out of the East, um, and so back to persecution, back to suffering, and ultimately the fall of Constantinople in 1453, right around just before the Reformation, uh, to the Muslims. So um, there rarely has been much time in which the uh, Church did not. Uh, suffer persecution. The Orthodox Church is a, is a suffering church, is a is a martyr church. Um, after Islam, the Greeks are oppressed by Islam from from 1453 to to uh, 1820s. Um, Russia is free in 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 Eastern European. Uh, well, some of the other Eastern European Christians, Bulgarians, Romanians were un, were under the Turks as well one of the Muslims and suffered but Russia uh, had had struggled with with uh, Mongol uh, uh, domination in, in the 11th 12th centuries um, which was I think Islamic as well but Russia was free until then so the Greeks are freed from Muslim persecution then communism hits Russia um, and uh, in in the night in the uh, 20th century and so the other, as do with the other Eastern European uh, Orthodox uh, areas. So, so there's always, there are times of, of rest, but then back to martyrdom. Questions on that? Yes. When, uh, when they were deciding at the, this, what they were going to do in the church, the services and so forth, was that, uh, were the councils, had, had they begun yet? The councils started soon after. The first council... <coughs> Conversion of the empire is 313. The first council is in 325. Because also, when you move from from persecution and martyrdom, then there's a then there's a guy in the church Arius who says Jesus isn't God. He's not the divine Son of God. He's just a, he's a super creature. He's great, but he's not God. So that creates an internal suffering and persecution. Where if you didn't agree with Arius, there were people that were that were that were arrested and and and. And suffered torture and, and even death uh, over a theological question of who is Christ. So, so again, even though the external forces against the church ceased and let up, there's there's a kind of an internal suffering and persecution um, within the, that that leads to the several councils.
from the year 325 to 780s. Time for our break. Please help yourself. There's a whole lot of food, and I thank everyone that's brought the goodies. So now looking at this aspect of, of what's it all about, Orthodoxy believes that there is a God, that there is one true living God, God who is the creator of all that we see and know and are, that God created this one God created out of love. So God, this God is benevolent, is kindly disposed towards his creation. He created and said it is good. The creation is very good. And that's important because many ancient cultures, their idea of God was, uh, or of gods that they may have believed in, were not always benevolent, not always kindly disposed to humans, that those gods were dangerous. They had to be appeased. They had to be calmed. They had to be sacrificed to, to make, to sort of um, keep them in their, in their peaceful place, uh, non-threatening. So, so many cultures, many many uh, ancient uh, uh, religious expressions were, were, had a threatening God. That's not, a, that's not anything like the God we believe in. We believe, again, God created as an act of, of love and of, of a generosity of spirit to share life with, his crea- with, with that which, with, with which he creates. And that um, the Genesis story provides us some very important truths about the creation. People nowadays get bogged down with the historicity of it. Is it was it was it seven 24-hour days that God created in, um, and so forth? We rather. Um, we being the Orthodox Church and the Church Fathers that we look to as, as those who comment on the Scripture didn't get bogged down so much in, in uh, the uh, Genesis as a exact uh, a, a literal historical record of creation, but that it, that it clearly points to an unfolding, an unfolding of, of creation from the basic elements of light and darkness and the sun and moon um, to the various creatures and finally to Adam and Eve, to the creation of Adam and Eve. Um, and that God created uh, a, a creation that had in itself, that has in itself creative principles. Um, God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the sea, and let fowl multiply in the earth, the birds. 
Um, God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, beasts of the earth after his kind. It was so. God made the beast of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind, everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. I'm not entirely thrilled with some of the things that creep upon the earth, but I didn't have a say in it. But um, there's some creepy things that creep. But God says it's good. Um, and then the key for us is Genesis 1.26. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So we do have dominion over the creeping things, which is good. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And it, and it, and it was evening and morning the, the sixth day. That, by the way, um, was uh, Jewish time, Byzantine time, Orthodox time are, are reckoned the same way from Genesis. There was evening and morning that um, the day begins at sun. the new day begins at sunset in, in um, biblical time. There was evening and there was morning one day. So for the Jews, the Sabbath begins Friday evening at sunset. For Christians, the Sabbath, the 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 uh, Lord's Day, uh, um, Sunday begins Saturday evening at the evening service. It's again at around sunset, vespers. Um, and that and that's really in the in the Christian West as well. That understanding historically abides that um, time is is measured that way. So when we celebrate anything in the church. That's why there's a Christmas Eve and Christmas morning um, typical services in Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Episcopal churches, other liturgical churches, Lutheran, so forth, um, high, that, that have uh, this, litur this understanding of, of time. But so the most important thing for us to take from, from creation is God sees it and it's all very good. That includes the material as well as the, as the uh, spiritual aspects of creation, that it's all good. Adam and Eve made in the image of God. Very important word in orthodoxy. Image. Which in Greek is icon. Sometimes you see it spelled with a C, sometimes with a K. That we are icons of God. We are male and female, men and women, made in the image of God, icons of God. That's fundamental in the Christian vision of life. That that humanity is the crown, is the crown of creation. We are to have dominion but to, sh to share in, in God's dominion over creation which is a benevolent kind dominion not oppressive, not tyrannical um, not abusive or, ex or uh, exploitive uh, but to share in, in God's 
God's um, stewardship of his good creation. We believe in Adam and Eve, the first man and woman. There has to be a, logically, there has to be a beginning, has to be a first of something. Um, the old Sunday school question is when, uh, who did, who did, um, well, Cain and Abel, Cain killed Abel and Cain was sent off, and who did Cain marry? Um, smart, smart aleck kids thinking things. <laughs> but, um, we don't we don't worry about that too much. We don't go there. There may be there may you know there is the fossil record. There's Neanderthal and Cro-Magnon and these other who are these guys? Maybe those are pre-human types of not quite human creatures, or maybe those they don't have the image of God yet, or whatever. It's hard to you know these are things you could speculate all you want, but it doesn't get you to the the truth of things. The truth of things is. Christian theology, specifically the writings of St. Paul, he takes this understanding of Adam and says, old Adam, new Adam. Old Adam, Adam and Eve, new Adam, Jesus Christ. So that's a, a fundamental bridge, an understanding of who is Jesus Christ. Uh, but you have to have the old Adam in order, in order to, to declare the new Adam. Uh, so that's that's why we we both logically there has to be a first a beginning of of something um, and the fact of what is Jesus coming to do he's coming to renew restore the 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 human nature that that was broken. Can I ask you a question about the image? Sure. Uh, the, do all people have the image of God, or only people who are seeking after Him and trying to commune with Him? Can you lose the image of God? We would say no. Can't lose the image of God. It's fundamental to our nature. It's in Genesis that all human beings are made in God's image, regardless of race, regardless of time in history. Um, and that Cro-Magnon and Neanderthal thing is purely speculation on my part. I have no, no, I no real. You know, some people have suggested multiple Genesis, which is to say. Adam and Eve's all over the place in different parts of the world, you know, but in the beginning of God making a creature in his image. But um, we would never say that people could lose that image, that that's, that's fundamentally who we are. It's like, you know, a, a leopard, you know, can't lose its stripes um, or spots, spots. But, um, yeah. It's, it's fundamental to our nature, and it's our fundamental vision of, of the high calling and dignity of, of, of human life made in God's image. Um, because, and Jesus is the restoration of the image, the renewal of our image in, in, in his own person. Um, be, because the other part of creation is, is the fall, is the fall, what happens in the fall. Yes? Of, oh yeah, I mean they 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 all do, they all do. Um, Saint Irenaeus of Lyon talks about um, uh, recapitulation, recapitulation. That Jesus is the recapitulation of humanity. What does that mean? 
Caput is head in Latin. Capital is the, the head of a column, the top, the capital building, capital of a, is the is the you know the, the, the height of things, the capital is head. Recapit, basically he puts a new head on us. Recapitulation. Were you talking about churches? About the image of God. Uh, so that's just one example, and that's an ancient. He's we're talking with Irenaeus, we're 150 A.D. He's second century. He's sort of this. He's a third generation Christian, and um, so there's already that emphasis on the image of God there, and and Jesus is is the renewal of that of that image, and that's. Ver- yes. If I recall correctly, one of uh, St. Paul's letters calls Christ the image of the invisible God. Exactly so. He's the icon. He's the icon, ultimately, in a sense, the perfect icon that we, that we fail to be. We have the image, but we, we tarnish it. St. John Chrysostom said, though I, though I, and, and we have this in the funeral service, but I thought it was St. John Chrysostom. It might be St. John of Damascus, because he wrote the funeral. But... Um, um, Though I bear the image of thine ineffable glory, I am tarnished by sin. So the image is there. It's tarnished like a mirror that's dirtied, covered over, tarnished, uh, uh, or, or metal, shiny metal that uh, silver, when it tarnishes, it gets dull and dirty looking. Um, so the image is, is dirtied, is covered, but it's not obliterated. That's our, that would be our teaching, that, that the image remains, the image persists. And there's again many examples of uh, our our Archbishop Dimitri Royster, who was the founding bishop of the dia- of this diocese, which is the diocese of the South Orthodox Church in America. We'll get into that. Um, but he said you should always be preaching. You should always preach about the image of God and the incarnation. That 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 always emphasize, remind people that they're made in God's image, and that God became man, God was incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ in your preaching, that that should always somehow come, and I always think about that and, and don't don't always quite get it out there um, in my preaching, and I feel guilty and he's watching over me, so but, um, but that's that's important, those are two, those are two call, fundamental sort of pillars of our faith, the image of God and who is Jesus Christ so um they're in the garden, right? Adam and Eve in paradise. And uh, it's all good. They were both naked and were not ashamed. And chapter 3 of Genesis has this curious uh, development that's not explained. And it just begins. Um, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The serpent. There's an entry, like, like in... I always talk about it like in a in a play where suddenly the villain appears from off stage and scares, you know, suddenly everybody gets excited. Um, the serpent appears and uh, he said unto the woman, to Eve, Yea, hath God said, ye shall, not eat, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the ser- serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. So, 
what we have there is God said, serpent is saying something opposed, something different from what God said, going against God's word, what God said. And, of course, we know the rest of the story is she convinced him that it was good to eat, and ap- actually, there's no mention in Scripture that it was an apple. It just says fruit. It was, I think it was a fig. It was appealing for it was fig, because she yeah. liked figs. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the apple symbol, Apple Computers, is an apple with a bite out of it, isn't it? The original apple. But um, the, the tree... Right of the knowledge of good and evil represents the no in the life of Adam and Eve. Everything else was food and, and good for them to eat, but there was one boundary, there was one limitation, there was one off-limit, off-limit tree. And um, there's speculation um, by the uh, teachers of the faith and, and fathers of the church as to what what that means, but um, basically, it's a no to God's word, and the serpent is the messenger of that uh, antithesis, um, of that, that that resistance to to God's word, that opposition. And um, Adam and Eve fell. There's a fall. There's a, what we call the fall, the original sin, the fall, the fall away from 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 a life of perfect communion with God and with one another that they had. Um, some fathers have said they were, on, they were there for 40 days. Um, that biblical number 40, operative there. But that's, that's we don't really know that for sure. But um, point being that um, the world as we know it is not what it could be or should be. And we all feel that. The fall, the sense of fallenness, the sense of missed, missed potential of, of, of failed potential, um, we see it in the news. We see it in, in life every day. We see it in our own heart. We see it in our own spirit that um, we fall short from the high calling given to us. And uh, we ourselves listen to the serpent. And we ourselves uh, say no to God's word and say no to what God wants for us. So there was a call to obedience and there was disobedience. There was, so there's this break the fall that led the fall that leads to sin and the wages of sin is death so we say that Adam and Eve were meant for immortality that God did not intend for them to die uh, but the fall created death and, and again we go back to the scripture that uh, is that God said he um, God said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. We, we emphasize that it doesn't say that God is saying, I will kill you. If you eat of that tree that you're not supposed to, I will kill you. But what, it, what we understand it to be is that the very fact of breaking that obedience to God, going against God's will, the very act of it uh, is, 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 is lethal. And just as you would say to a child, do not stick the butter knife in the light socket because not I will kill you, but you, you will, it will kill you. The, the, the act of doing that, do not pour the hot oil down on your head and so forth. Um, we, there's things, 
that we want our children not to do because it will harm them, not because we will harm them in the doing of it. And so we see it that way. God saying, if you do this, it will hurt you. You know, that the very the very fact of doing it, if you use your free will for this, it will harm you. And so and and we very much in orthodoxy, I guess we should say, is that that our belief in the image of God in us humanly is very much uh, free will is very much uh, a feature of that of that of that image because God is free and so we are free beings um, in fact the teaching is sin inhibits our freedom people think that sinning is is a freedom to do more to do things that are not blessed the teaching is that sin enslaves sin actually holds you back from your again from your full complete potential for for the deepest possible communion with God, which which of course the fall did for Adam and Eve. Questions on that? I have a sure. So um, we talked when I was Presbyterian, they would emphasize a lot the fact that the original sin of Adam and Eve held us all captive as a sort of like a descendant into sin. Like you were born with sin inherently in you. Yes. So orthodoxy would say you're born more tabula rasa, like a clean slate, and every person makes a decision, even though there's sin in the world, so probably yeah. the effects of sin being all around us yeah. make well, it harder because of the Yeah, this is, so. yes, um, the, or the teaching of orthodoxy is um, that we're not born guilty of original sin, okay. that the, the, uh, we're going to be talking about Augustine. And the West, the Western Church Father, the fifth century, uh, who's also a saint of that's in the Orthodox Church. But there's, there are things that um, that he taught that that sometimes Orthodox use polemically, and and uh, maybe maybe too generally. But I, I and I'm guilty of that. But um, that a, a a more dark vision of humanity as a result of the fall, that that somehow. Um, <coughs> We're born guilty of sin, or we're, we're born in very, you know, we would say it's, I mean, we're still born of sinful parents, so we have a propensity to sin as a result of, our, of, of just, just as we get certain traits genetically and even birth defects sometimes that it's a, it's a fallen, broken world, but a baby's innocent. A baby is born innocent, and, and so a tabula rosa in that sense, yes, uh, you know, a clean slate. Um, but uh, born into a sinful world, we're invariably going to fall into sin. But um, but there's a difference there, and and there's a much darker vision in the Presbyterian Calvinist understanding of humanity than Orthodoxy, which is to say, than the Orthodox Fathers, who 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 were speaking hundreds of years before there ever was um, a Presbyterian, and. Um, so yeah, there's a that's that's one of the places where there's a, a more positive vision of humanity in orthodoxy, not as a not as a response to the to Calvin, but but that which predates Calvin, which is a more ancient understanding of things, um, and not even a response to Augustine, because Augustine Calvin drew on Augustine, or Augustine wasn't even known by the great fathers of the Orthodox Church or the Eastern Church, um, but but his his teaching about original guilt of the original sin played a part that down through the centuries in the Western Christian vision. Yes? I would go so far as to say is 
if Christ really truly is fully human, just as we are truly fully human, how is it that he can be without sin, but we cannot, but we cannot be because we have this guilt? How how is he of the same essence as we are if he doesn't have that guilt with him? Yeah. Well, I mean, we 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 say he was he's fully human, born of a, of a human mother, humanly, but um, you know, and that he knew no sin, and there was, and of course. The reaction of the Western theology is to make her a sinless being, so that she doesn't transmit guilt to the Son of God. But that—that that is again a different vision of, of things from East and West. Yes. So, what about like um, Adam and Eve's sin caused them to die? It broke communion with God. It broke. It broke the. Uh, I mean it. You unplug a, a lamp from the socket, and it's it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of that. It's it's a it was a a breaking of the lifeline that um, we don't understand. I mean, that's a mystery. We don't understand exactly what happened there, um, but it's more than just God's mad and I'm cutting you off. You're grounded. No, it wasn't like God. You know, it was more ontological, more a matter of their being, of their very a very break. In, in how they were made or, or, or a rebellion from, from how they were made and um, cutting, cutting off, cutting the you know, Christ said I'm the, I'm the vine, you're the branches that it was a breaking of that of that link of that lifeline with somehow with God um, huh? Wait till next class. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, get it, you'll get it in the next class. Um, oh well, we eventually do sin, but a baby's not. We say a baby's not guilty of sin. You know, the child will so you know show sinful behavior eventually. We. We, um, we have a thing called confession in the church where people come to talk about their sins and their spiritual life with, with the priest. And more or less for a child, it's around six, seven years old that they begin to come to confession. So it's about that time where you could say there's sinful behavior that they can be aware of, of self-awareness. You know, just even some basic fundamental things. I kick my sister. She kicks me, I kick her. <laughs> But it's that, but yeah. So it's not a denial of sin, and, and but it's an understanding of how the depth of what sin does to us, where where certain voices of the Reformation said that sin makes us totally depraved, totally helpless, useless, hopeless, that we can't do anything because sin has broken us that far down. We would say that the the Scripture doesn't say that. And the church didn't believe that for centuries. That was a new idea that came with John Calvin, basically the founder of the Presbyterian movement. Ultimately, well, John Knox was, but he was a Knox was his student. disciple student. Yeah. And we'll talk more about it. This, this we're not. This is just a kind of overview, but we'll we'll di we'll dig into that a little further. Um, 
when we will talk specifically about humanity, anthropology, the, the understanding of humanity from a Christian point of view, the Orthodox Christian point of view. So um, just to come around on this then, so what is, um, there's this brokenness, there's the fall, what is God's response? What is God's answer to Adam and Eve's fall and break from communion? And um, we say it begins with Abraham. God chooses Abraham. In Genesis 12, 3, God says to Abraham, through, through you all the nations will be blessed through Abraham. What, what happens is God takes Abraham and his clan, his kinship group, his tribe, and begins to shape and work with him and ultimately from a people who were no people God creates his people which we we now call Israel the Jews the Jewish people um, God begins to restore renew fix heal the fall of Adam by working with a group um, and it's not a particularly impressive group. Well, compared to, well, they talk about how the ancient Chinese culture and the ancient Japanese culture and the ancient Indian culture was much more advanced and much more refined than the Semitic culture. That's what I mean by that. That it that that it wasn't. You know, it, it, I'm not making a comment on the Jew. I'm saying um, there were. You, you could say God had other options, other cultures that maybe. Were, would get it would get it more readily or were more developed already established but no he took this kind of obscure tribe into this obscure place and said you are my people I will put I will put my seal my blessing upon you and um, and worked with them and gave them patriarchs Abraham Isaac Jacob Moses Joseph and so forth that God shaped this people, gave them leaders, the patriarchs, the judges, the kings, the prophets, um, worked with them, we think, through a period of maybe 5,000 years B.C., 5,000 years before Christ. God is working with the Jews, with Israel, preparing them, working them. They are not, they're not always um, model citizens of, of being God's people, often rebelling against God, killing his prophets, re rejecting his word rejecting his guidance, rejecting his shepherding of them, uh, resisting uh, um, the, 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 uh, the blessings that he's pouring out on them. But we say this is, this is how it appears to be. Our Christian inheritance is ultimately a Jewish inheritance. So we, our foundation was in Judaism, and even the foundation of Islam is in Judaism to some degree too, and in Christianity. Uh, we all come out of that. Um, foundation and um, ultimately this God God working with Israel for all this time led to two extraordinary people two extraordinary people not Jesus so who would you think they might be and if you've been in the class a couple times don't answer <laughs> Fruits of the Old Testament, the produce, the all this working gives 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 birth to two human beings, who are sort of st set the stage for the transition from the old to the new. 
Anybody? Moses. Past Moses. We're, we're beyond Moses. Yes. Yep. Yes. Mary and St. John the Baptist. Mary and St. John the Baptist. Virgin Mary and St. John the Baptist are the two, <laughs> the two, the greatest man born of woman, St. John the Baptist. Jesus calls St. John the greatest born of woman, prophet of the prophets, and, and Virgin Mary, who would, who would, we say, as Christians, would give birth to God in the flesh. That Jesus is God's eternal son who has become human for the sake of our healing, of our salvation, of our redemption. So these two, these two people are the, the, the highest fruit, the product of God working with his people for all that, all that time. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So, then we say, I, I the evident... Something. Yeah. I want to ask you something. Why do you think he called the Jewish people? Well, I don't know. Oh, I'm going to tell you. You're going to tell me? <laughs> because they were worshipping one God. Everybody else was worshipping more than one God. How's that? Were they? Good. <laughs> that makes sense? Were they? The song of Miriam and Moses doesn't say, you know, you're, you're great, you're the only God. It says, who is like God among the gods? I don't think we can answer that. Going back in time, you can't answer that, right? I don't, yeah, maybe not. Most of, well, most tribal people like that. I mean, we, I think most, most Understandings of of that of God tapping Abraham is to say I am I am God I'm the only God you should worship I am I am the real thing I am the real God I'm the true God that's that's what he kept saying all throughout the Old Testament was, yeah. you know I I I am the one true God and it it really seemed like it all the way down to the prophet Isaiah and then Jeremiah that over a span of at least you know, like you were saying, five thousand years. It seemed like he was having to hammer it to him. Oh yeah, no, and any 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 accuses them when they go off to other religions. They accuse them of prostitution. Mm-hmm. You know that they're totally off the rails. I mean, you know, lusting after other gods. To a certain extent, maybe it was because they were small and insignificant. You know, and that like the Egypt, the ancient Egyptians. You know, they're no longer the people that live in Egypt now aren't the same people as the ancient Egyptians were. Ancient Romans aren't the same people. Yep. The modern Romans are, but the Jews are still as small as you know, and as insignificant as they were, or, you know, still exist. Yes. As a people. The insignificant, and you could say God chose the insignificance of the Jews to make them significant, mm-hmm. as a show, as a showing forth of His glory. It's like David and Goliath. Yeah, David and Goliath. Yeah. Let me show you how David can slay Goliath. Yeah. No, that's good. Good points. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. The mis- but there's a mystery of choosing. There is, you know. I mean, there's a mystery of choosing even in throughout the old covenant, where the pro- God says to the prophet, "I'm choosing you." He says, "Why, Lord? Why me?" <laughs> Moses said, "I can't speak." I, it was commonly Moses had to stutter. Um, you know, Jeremiah says, "No, no, I'm not to, to, choose someone else." I'm too young. I'm too young. Yeah. Um, Jonah says, "No, I'm not going to Nineveh. Those aren't my people." Right? No, he's not going. So, yeah, it um, there's a mystery of of the choosing. 
in in the scripture of, of of this one, not that one, and that's a mystery of 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 life in general. Why are you here, not others? Why am I, why are we here, not others? Why, you know? I'd say you're here because you wanted to know more. That you that God has placed in you a a hunger, a desire to go deeper into the questions that that there are, and 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 God will honor that, you know. Because if he can speak through Barlam's ass, he can speak through me. <laughs> so there's that. Sorry. That's a Father Hopkoism, really. I mean, that's that is. It's not really me. That's that's my mentor, my my professor he used to say that kind of thing. It's memorable. Don't forget it. Um, he would say something. He'd say if he can speak through him, he can speak through any old priest, you know, whatever. So. But um, one of the things about this class too is, you know, if you whatever you've read and studied about orthodoxy, if you're if you're new and you're you're, you're you are literally curious and inquiring, um, you want to hear. Well, does this guy in Alabama believe what you've been reading? What's you know you say what's in the books now is on what's on the internet. But are are you are does does the local church believe what the what is being said on you know on you know on we say on paper. But in, in, in writing, and I think that's important too, that, that the intention I have is to give you what the church teaches, to give you what the faith is, if, 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 if I can, if, you know, and, um, or if I, as I said, if I'm not sure, then I'll say so, but, um, but that's, that's important part of this too, that um, orthodox, orthodox pastorship priesthood is is not for I mean I have a personality and it'll come out somewhat but it's not for me to to it's for me to present orthodoxy present the truth present Christ present what the faith teaches not my version of it or my twist on it or my what I like about it though I, I may sometimes talk that way but um so that's that's an important part of this as well so we say God then, so God worked through a people in the Old Covenant, and the point I'm getting to at 8 o'clock is that we, in, in Orthodoxy, we say the church is the continuation of the old Israel. The church is the new Israel. God continues to work through a people. Christianity never was an individualistic, personal philosophy religion where I'll take my scripture and I'll read what I want and believe what I want, and you believe what you like and so forth. God worked with the people, the Jews. He continued to work with the church, the Christian people. That that God's plan was to establish his people and then to establish his church. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That we, we it's orthodoxy is very much a church-centered version of Christianity. It's church-centered, church-oriented. Um, the church, God is our father, the church is our mother. St. Cyprian of Carthage in the year, around the year 250 said he cannot have God as his father who does not have the church as his mother. That So church is not optional. Church is not, you know, um, church of my choice, church of what I feel. So where is the church? Where is the church that is the continuation of Israel? And so that's that. 
that's the that's where we that's where we're coming from. Where are you coming? That's where we come from. We come from that idea of church-centered Christianity, ultimately worship, sacrament, prayer-centered Christianity that includes preaching, but it but is uh, has more to it than that. And so the church continues to exist um, in a fallen world, uh, in a sinful world. Um, um, and and St. Paul, an important statement in Ephesians, which is a mysterious statement, Ephesians 1.23, that the, speaks of the church as the fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness of him who fills all in all. It's a paradoxical statement. The, full, the church is the fullness of God who's everywhere. God fills all in all. God's everywhere. Our, we'll talk about the basic concept of God uh, next week that, that we believe God is omnipresent, God is everywhere, but the fullness of him, somehow there's a mystery of fullness, of the fullness of God's presence in the church that we believe that the, the, the scripture, what that says there also. So a Christ, Christ-centered vision of life, of the Christ centered the church, Christ is the head of the church his body, Christ, the church is the bride of God, the body of Christ and so that's our that's we argue that that's God's plan for for how he he deals with the fall his response is to be mediated through the church through the life of the church the church as our mother <laughs>